Jesus wants you to hear the gospel. And as I am reading these words, notice who the angels bring this good news of great joy to. Shepherds. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Have you ever had good news of great joy that you could not wait to tell to others? I'm looking at one right now. That's my son Judah in the back. You might hear him throughout the service. Um, When he was born, I could not wait to tell others about his birth, how exciting it was, the lead up to it, the anticipation, and here he is. I am holding him in the flesh. And who did Shelby and I start to tell first? But our immediate families and then our close friends who have been walking through times and trials and celebrations with us, and, and then those who we're friends with but maybe not so close with, and then everyone else we'd, we'd share this message with. And so we'd start with those closest and share it with them with everyone else. And God does the same thing, but it's so interesting and it surprises us who God chooses to be the first to tell about his son's birth. Because it seems that the closest to, those, uh, to God's heart are those shepherds. And you may be thinking, of course, God would choose shepherds. I mean, there are, you can think of people in the Bible who are great men and women of God who are shepherds. People like Moses, David, even Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. So, of course, God would choose shepherds. However, throughout Luke's gospel, Luke highlights how God chooses the unsuspecting ones to be the ones that he uses. Think about last week. Pastor Pat preached from Luke chapter 1, and we got to hear how an unwed virgin, likely teenage mother, and a married elderly woman who was barren her whole life, both became miraculously pregnant. And in the same unexpected way, we see that Luke emphasizes the shepherds as the unexpected ones to be the first recipients of this good news of great joy. Because at this point in history, shepherds have become the outcasts of society. They had the reputation of thieves who couldn't be trusted. In fact, this reputation was so prevalent in that world that they were barred from giving testimony in court. Legally speaking, their word was worthless. In that society, you shouldn't trust a shepherd, according to everyone. Not only were they viewed as untrustworthy, but they're shepherds. I mean, we have this beautiful view of shepherds come Christmas time in pageants, you see cute little boys with shepherd's hooks and all these things. Shepherds were dirty. 
I mean, they were stinky. Imagine spending your days out in fields, out by rivers, out in the desert, and you're caring for flocks of sheep. I mean, you would be covered from head to toe in dirt and mud and other things that you can use your imagination to figure out. From head to toe. And this dirty work actually prevented them from coming to the temple to worship God. That's crazy to think about, but it happened because those in charge said, you're just too dirty. Even if you were to ceremonially wash, you're just too dirty. We can't do this. So we're all here gathered in the temple worshiping God, but sorry, you just have to stay on the outside. Imagine having society view you as untrustworthy just because of who you are, even if you're not stealing anything. And imagine being turned away from worshiping God corporately simply because you're dirty and stinky. Yet these are the exact people who God wants to tell that his son is born. I mean, that's crazy. These dirty, stinky, outcast shepherds are the people that God wants to share his good news with. And it's here that we find these shepherds unsuspecting, just keeping watch over their flock by night, when suddenly before them appears an angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord himself. I mean, it's so crazy. Here's the glory of the Lord, the same glory that dwelt in the holy of holies in the temple. Remember the temple where they weren't able to go and worship God? Now this very glory of God is appearing to them where they are out in their fields just as they are. God reveals his glory to the shepherds and he chooses them to be the first to hear the good news of Jesus' birth. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then right after this announcement comes a host of angel armies praising God and glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That word for pleased in the original Greek is the word yodukia. I actually said it right this time. I had to practice quite a few times. Yodukia. And the writer Luke only uses that word one other time in his gospel. It's in Luke 10.21. Listen to this. In that same hour, he, being Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your, and here's our word, yodukia, gracious will. Other Bibles translate it as, because this was your good pleasure, or for this was your this was well-pleasing in your sight. Or my favorite comes from the New Living Translation. It pleased you to do it this way. It pleases God to reveal himself to little children, those who lack wisdom and understanding. 
It pleases God to reveal himself to no-name outcast shepherds who lack a good standing in society. And it pleases God to reveal himself to people like me and to people like you. God wants us to hear this good news, and God also wants us to come and worship him. Look down with me in verses 15 and 16, and notice the shepherd's response to hearing this good news of great joy that the Savior was born. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The no-name outcast shepherds who God chose to be the first to reveal himself to, to be the first to hear this good news of great joy that his son was born, now become the first to go and worship Jesus. That's crazy. But the shepherds have to find him first. I mean, it's a town of Bethlehem. It wasn't a huge town. It was pretty small in that day, but you still have to find this child. And the angels give them two signs, two signs to find this child. He'll be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's crazy, and it's really, really disgusting. I mean, some of you might be looking at the manger behind me. It looks fantastic, doesn't it? I mean, you would almost think, hey, I could place a baby in that. That seems great. might even be softer than their crib at home. Mangers did not look like that. They were covered in filth and dirt, and it was nasty. Animals spit and mud and whatever else find its way in there. I mean, you would expect a baby who has the titles of Savior, Christ, and Lord to be born in the best conditions and to be among the prestigious and the powerful. I mean, that's what I would think. I mean, just five miles to the north of Bethlehem sat the temple in Jerusalem. God could have easily had his son born in the temple with its gold-covered walls and among the religious elite of the day. Or just three miles to the south of Bethlehem, even closer. And you can actually, I haven't been to Bethlehem, but you can still see it to this day, the ruins of the massive desert fortress built by King Herod called the Herodium. God could have easily had Jesus born there in one of its lavish rooms where servants would have attended to his every cry but he didn't. Instead, God sent his son wrapped in peasant rags and lying in a dirty, stinky feeding trough meant for animals to eat and drink out of. Yuck! It begs the question, why would God do this? Why would the God who spins galaxies who causes empires to rise and to fall, choose swaddling cloths and a manger for his son? Why would God look down upon no-name outcast shepherds and say to his angels, it's them. Those are the ones who I want to be the first to hear the good news of great joy that my son's born. 
Why would God choose this for his son? I wouldn't choose it for my son. I hope any of you wouldn't choose it for your children. But God does for his son. I mean, the only thing for Mary and Joseph to keep their newborn baby warm was rags. And the only place to put him, besides the likely poop-covered ground that they were standing on, was the manger that the animals ate out of. It was complete poverty. It was completely humiliating. I mean, just put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes for a second. Humanly speaking, it was ugly and it stunk. We make it look so nice at Christmas. We do a great job of making the nativity seem something that's palatable. But if you saw the conditions, you likely would have been repulsed. So why would God choose this for his son? Because God loves you. God loves you so much that he would send his son to be born and wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Paul helps us wrap our minds around this in 2 Corinthians 8-9. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. God loves you so much that he left his throne above where angels worship him without ceasing, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He left that setting, his throne in heaven, to come down and be born in a stinky cattle trough. And he did so because he loves us. He did so so that those of us, every single one of us who are lost, who are broken, who are no good, dirty, rotten sinners, and it starts with me, may know that God loves us, that we can trust him and that we can love him back. That's why it was considered great joy for God to send his son into this repulsive setting so that everyone could come and worship him. I mean, Jesus' humiliating humility becomes his invitation to the world to come and worship him. God doesn't want anyone shut out. He doesn't want anyone to have to stay outside when they want to come and worship him. So much so that God picked the lowliest of the low, these no-name outcast shepherds, to come and worship him first. And he wants you and he wants me to come and worship him as well. No one is too lowly for Christ. He has always been the lowest or made himself to be the lowest so that no one was ever excluded. So I wasn't excluded. So you wouldn't be excluded. Imagine for a moment if Jesus was born somewhere that seemed palatable to us, somewhere fit for a king, somewhere like the temple or the Herodium, places that make sense. Do you think that the shepherds would have even been allowed to catch a glimpse at him? No. They would have been turned away at the door. 
But it's Jesus' humiliating humility that throws the doors open for all of us so that everyone can come in and worship him. And this humiliating humility of Jesus doesn't just end with the manger, but his whole earthly ministry is defined by it all the way up into the cross where he died in the most humiliating way imaginable. I mean, what kind of God comes to this world born in a cattle trough and dies on a cross? What kind of God would do something like that? One who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's who. And he did it all for you. And if you're here this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus, his manger and his cross are now before you today as his invitation to you. He has extended them out to you in his love as a gift. You've heard the message, and now he wants you to come and to worship him, to turn and to trust him. And if you desire to do that, to accept this invitation that Jesus gives you through the cross and through his manger, please do not leave here this morning without doing so. Come up and see me. Find Pastor Pat, one of the elders here, the friend who brought you. Just do not leave this morning without talking to someone because God wants you to come and worship him. The invitation is here. The manger is before you. The cross is before you. This is the greatest invitation that you will ever receive. You are not left out. God has made it available to you. And God calls each one of us to come and to worship his son. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what, where you've come from, and it doesn't matter what society says about you. Jesus came for you, and he wants you to hear the gospel, and he wants you to worship him. And lastly, God wants you to proclaim the gospel wherever he has placed you. Look down at verses 17 through 20 with me, and notice the shepherd's response. They've heard the good news. They've come and seen and worshiped the baby. And now notice their response. Verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And seeing the shepherds returned, oh, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so these no-name outcast shepherds, the first that God told of the birth of his son, the first that got to see baby Jesus and got to come and worship him, now also become the first to tell the world about him. That's crazy. The world said they were unreliable. These are the same people who were barred from giving their testimony in court because society said they were untrustworthy. Yet these were who God handpicked to be his first evangelists. Because this good news of great joy wasn't just for them alone. And it's not just for us either. Look back with me at verse 10. I bring you good news 
of great joy that will be for all the people. God chose the shepherds to be the first to hear it, but he didn't intend for them to be the last to hear it. God didn't just tell the shepherds the good news, but he entrusted it to them. Those who the world labeled as so untrustworthy that their testimony was barred from court have now been entrusted by God with the greatest news that the world had known up until that point. And while this may seem so foolish to the world to entrust great news like this to those who are untrustworthy outcasts, God knew what he was doing, and it pleased him. And so now the no-name outcast shepherds have become the model for us to replicate this Christmas season. It didn't matter to the shepherds of their status. They heard the news. They saw with their own eyes that the Messiah had come, and they just had to tell everyone that they saw. They could not keep this news in, this good news of great joy. Faith family, is that the same for you this morning? You've heard the news You come and you worship. Is this good news of great joy something that you just want to keep to yourself, to your family, to keep in? Or is it something that just has to flow out of you, like it did with the shepherds? If God would choose a group of no-name outcast shepherds to be the first to go and proclaim the news that his son was born to the world, that God wants you to go and proclaim the good news that his son was born to this world as well. The shepherds heard the news, they saw the news, and they actively spread the news, but then they returned to their flocks. They returned to their fields. They went back to where they came from, but not as they were before, as completely transformed and changed people. Look with me at verse 20. They returned glorifying and praising God. The same words God used to describe the angel army in verses 13 and 14, that they were praising God and saying glory to God in the highest, are the same words used to describe the shepherds as they returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God. The reality that the shepherds knew and proclaimed, the good news of great joy that the long-awaited Messiah had come, now became the reality that the shepherds knew, saw, proclaimed, and now live. For this good news of great joy didn't just become a reality for the shepherds in their minds. It wasn't something that they just went and saw but it became something that became the reality in their hearts as well. The good news of great joy wasn't just words that they heard and reverberated in their eardrums that they saw with their own eyes, but it became the beat of their own hearts. For after they saw the baby, they left his presence telling everyone what they were told, not under compulsion, but out of the great joy that now flowed from their hearts. And so I hope this morning, as you have heard and as you have seen and as you, I hope, have felt today, this good news of great joy doesn't seem to make sense. And that's completely the point. 
Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, writes this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. As we heard earlier this morning a few times from God's word, his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. I mean, who could have imagined that the God of the universe would willingly leave his throne in heaven for a cattle trough on earth? Who would have thought of that? Who would have imagined that out of his joy, God the Father would handpick a group of no-name outcast shepherds to be the first to hear the good news that his son was born, to be the first to see and to go and worship him, and to be the first to go and proclaim to the world that the Messiah is here? Who could have imagined that God would be born and would die for humanity, for all of us who are dirty, rotten, no-good sinners? Who could have thought of that? It's no wonder that Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. God's love for us, the things that he does, they're so far beyond our comprehension that we have to ponder them in our hearts. And so this Christmas season, the example of the shepherds is before us. It's so easy to get caught up in the season, this time of year, to hear it, to see it. It's all around us. But Christmas is not about the lights, and it's not about the trees. It's not about the ribbons, and it's not about the bows. It's not about the cookies. They're really good, aren't they? It's not about the eggnog. You almost wish that could be more times of the year, but it's not for a reason. And it's not even about the gifts and having family all together. Those are all really, really good things, and I think I do each one of them. And they're fun things to do. But you can have all of those things, and you can completely miss the good news of great joy that God wants you to hear, to see, to worship, and to proclaim this Christmas season. Because it's all about hearing the story. It's all about responding in worship. And it's all about telling everyone about Jesus and what he has done for you. If God could use a group and I've said this a lot, and I hope it sticks with you, of no-name, outcast shepherds, then God can and wants to do it through you too. Will you come and worship him? Will you go and tell the good news of Jesus? Will you allow Christ to change your heart and your mind this Christmas season like he did the shepherds? Now, before I pray and, and we conclude and sing our final song, I want us all to just take a moment. I want us all to sit in silence. And I want us to be like those who heard the good news from the shepherds that night. To wonder. To be amazed at the love that God has for us. And ask God what he wants you to do in response. If you need to write something down, there should be uh, maybe a pen or a pencil in front of you. If you don't have one, a small sheet of paper for notes. Uh, you also have your phones, I'm sure, um, or you just have your minds. But <clears throat> I want you to take some time, take a moment, think about this amazing love that God has for us and how he wants you and invites you to respond to it. And then I will finish up this time with prayer. So let's take a moment now.
Holy Father, none like you. A God who would create this world fully knowing that we would rebel against you, fully knowing before time began that you would have to be the one to come to this world to live a perfect life because we can't, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay them because we can't do it with our works, with our deeds, with our thoughts. Without you, we'd be completely lost. But yet you were willing to create this world anyways. You were willing to take on human flesh. You were willing to come into this broken world, leave your throne in heaven where angels worshiped you and still do without ceasing to be born in rags, in a cattle trough, to live a life of poverty with no place to lay your head, to die the death of an outcast, of a sinner, of a thief on a cross, even though you did nothing wrong. There is none like you. There is no love like the love that you have for us. In this Christmas season, as we are bombarded by the world and what they say about Christmas, Lord, may we remember, even if we get to celebrate in some of those things, Lord, that are good things, that it's all about you. It's all about what you have done and that you invite us to be a part of it. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear to the broken world around us. Lord, may we reach out to those who might be like the shepherds were in this story. Lord, we thank you that you invite each of us in to know you and to follow after you. And Lord, we pray that as we go out from here, that this news and this time of worship, Lord, may overflow in our lives and that we just can't help but go out into this world around us and just spill over into them, telling of what you have done, telling of who you are and the love that you have for us. Lord, we love you. And we pray all this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.